I greet you all in Jesus' name this morning. It is a blessing to be with God's people. We made it through 2020, the first Sunday of 2021, right? And we kind of look back, and it's been a, it's been a rather difficult year. Uh, and this coming year doesn't look a lot better, does it? Uh, but it's all in the Lord's hands, and he has been with us, and just want to continue keeping our focus on him. That's really where we need to be. This morning, uh, my message is a call to humility. And my text is taken out of 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. This may not be the message that you would expect uh, for the first Sunday in 2021, but it is something that uh, God has been working in my heart, calling me to a deeper level of humility and trusting him. And I think that's uh, for all of us. I discovered that uh, when you prepare to preach on humility and pride, that you are inviting, that's uh, kind of dangerous, you're inviting an attack. <laughs> and my, it's, you're going to be tested just how humble you are in different ways. The Lord has ways of just touching you and just showing you, revealing areas where, wow, I need to surrender that one to the Lord. Uh, but I believe that as serious followers of Jesus, humility is a quality that we all should be pursuing. And I don't know where you're at with that. Uh, how many truly humble people do we have here this morning? Nobody fell for that, right? <laughs> uh, you know, someone has said that uh, humility is that elusive quality that as soon as you spot it, it's gone. And that's, that's how it is, isn't it? Uh, certainly, I can't claim to have achieved it, and I guess none of you would maybe say that either, but uh, it is something that it's a, it's a quality that we as followers of Jesus are pursuing. I have come to believe that humility is the foundational attitude that we have in, in our relationship with the Lord and with each other. Uh, humility is also being at peace with God and just knowing that in myself I have nothing to bring to the table, but I'm fully trusting Him. On the other hand, pride is a big problem. It's a big problem with God. And I have found for myself that pride is probably that one sin that gets me in more trouble than anything else. And if you think about what pride does to our lives, and I'd like to talk about some of that this morning. The Bible clearly states that God hates pride. It's an abomination to him. And that means, when I use that word abomination to God, that means it makes God shudder. Uh, God resists the pro, uh, pride in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to read First uh, Peter chapter 5, the first seven verses. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 
Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. <clears throat> Verse 5, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. <clears throat> humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I notice here in the, in the beginning of this passage that Apostle Peter is appealing to church elders. And that's not, he's not talking about the older people here, although he does talk about them later. But he's talking about church leaders uh, and the kind of attitude that we as church leaders are to portray to the church. And then in verse 2, he instructs the elders, uh, church leaders here, to be shepherds and to serve as overseers of God's flock. Shepherds are to feed the flock, how? With the word of God. <clears throat> Servant leaders are to care about people. And you can generally tell if somebody cares, can you not? You can tell if they really care or not. And here he instructs servant leaders to lead because they are eager to serve, not as bosses who lord it over the flock, but, to, but as servants. And this, I think, can be to all church leaders, regardless whether you're a pastor, regardless of whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a church officer of some kind, you're serving the church in, in one way or the other, uh, you, you use that uh, position, you use that platform as a place of service. <clears throat> I think it ought to sober us as he talks here in verse 3 that leaders are to be examples to the flock. Uh, we as leaders should know this, that people are observing our lives. And the way that we live our lives is has a way of just infecting, I guess you could say, infecting the flock. Uh, one way or the other. So we need to be careful about what kind of example we are giving. It's important for shepherds here, as, or pastors we could call them, to realize that the sheep belong to Jesus. And Jesus is the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. If you look back, you'll find that scripture in 1 Peter 2.25. So in this sense, a pastor a church elder, a leader, whatever, uh, doesn't work for the sheep, but works for the chief shepherd. Verse 4 says that the day is coming when the chief shepherd will appear and will ask pastors, church leaders, what did you do uh, with his flock? And I honestly have to confess, I guess, verse 4, the latter part, <clears throat> I never really noticed this very much before, but it would indicate that there is a crown of glory for faithful pastors, <clears throat> right? I guess I wouldn't point that out except that it's in the Word of God. And that's, a, <clears throat> that's kind of a special thing I think we as, as pastors need to think about. There is a crown of glory for those who are faithful. 
As a congregation, uh, it's good for us to remember that pastors are ultimately accountable to the Lord of the church. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You think about what that was just saying, that it's, it's better for us to obey our leaders uh, so that they will have a joyful experience in leading rather than a, being a burden to them because that's of no advantage to you. Verse 5 uh, shifts gears and begins instruct, uh, instructing the flock. Now, verse 5, he's talking to young men, right? Uh, young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And then all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there is that word again that we see popping up so often is submission. And it, here it is coupled with the word humility. And these words are being applied now uh, to all of us, but it would seem especially to young people. Did you notice that? Uh, young people, just as a general pattern, I guess, and thinking back on my own youth, young people sometimes tend to resist leadership maybe a little bit more. And I think especially if, if the leadership is lording it over, if they come across as lording it over people or those who are account they are accountable to, or, or leading an inconsistent life, and it makes it difficult for a young person to submit to that kind of leadership. Nevertheless, he addresses uh, young men specifically. Be submissive to those who are older. And young people, you probably hear this a lot, but uh, older folks have put on a few more miles. <laughs> and uh, though we sometimes, as older people, we kind of forget. I know I forget how it was to be a young person, but we have been where you are. And we stand with you and want to be an encouragement to you. And I think it's a good sign of character in a young person when they show respect to an older person. That's a great character quality. But verse 5, the latter part of verse 5, says, All of you, and then notice this phrase, interesting phrase, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothing yourself or putting on the garb of a servant. Uh, that's referring to uh, a servant or a slave who puts on an apron, uh, just as Jesus did before he washed his disciples' feet. That is the attitude that we are to have in serving one another. It is being others-centered rather than self-centered. <clears throat> that doesn't always feel that great, does it, to putting another person's interest in front of, of ours. <clears throat> and I had to think of the time, a little. it's been a while back, where uh, I was heading out to the, to the shop or chicken house or whatever, and Elsie asked me if I would uh, hang up the wash on my way out there. Uh, and I said, sure. Uh, but inwardly, I have these, you have these thoughts. You know, I've got more important things to do, right? 
I don't know if any of you men ever deal with that uh, or not. And I think, you know, what if somebody from church goes by and sees me hanging up the wash when I should be doing something else? I should be studying, of course, right? <laughs> uh, I wonder if we men sometimes, and I'm just going to be open with you, I guess, that <clears throat> do we men sometimes think that our work is more important than ladies' work, our wives? Uh, I don't know if you, you know, I've been around, uh, the last number of years I've had opportunity to be at home more, spend more time at home, and I see what my wife is doing. And, you know, we just, we men, I think, just kind of tend to blow by that and don't maybe respect or appreciate as much as we ought to the value of our wife's work at home. It has tremendous value, and it's just as valuable as what the work that I'm doing. Uh, but note, I think, too, of how much of what we do by, our way, by way of uh, our work and activity or things we're involved in, how much of what we do, we make sure that we're getting attention for it. We make sure that somebody notices, right? Uh, like the minister I heard about who had, a, had this great message on humility, but he was waiting for a large crowd before he would preach it. So, uh, Verse 5 says here that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Those are strong words. Are you experiencing the grace of God in your life? Or could it be that God is opposing us because of an element of pride? Some of us can be rather proud. We might as well be honest, right? Remember the proud king uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, if you remember this story of how he was, he had been warned about this, but he was strutting around on the, the walls of his uh, palace, and he was looking around at the great hanging beautiful gardens and everything that he had done, and he says... Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Can you imagine? Those are bold, alarming words. And Nebuchadnezzar had clearly been warned and given opportunity to humble himself, but he did not. So God humbled Nebuchadnezzar in a way that only God could do, and it was more, far more severe than had Nebuchadnezzar just humbled himself. So this great king, uh, instead of ruling from the throne, spent seven years out in the wild crawling around like an animal. And then King Nebuchadnezzar says after that, he says, at the end of that time, that was the time of his insanity. He's a time that was appointed by God. King Nebuchadnezzar says, Then I raised my eyes toward heaven. Instead of looking at what all I have done, I raised my eyes toward heaven and began to praise and honor and glorify him who lives forever. I would say that's quite a different tune before and after. Uh, and I think that's a warning for us, as he says here, those who walk in pride, 
He is able to humble. That's one of the greatest understatements in the Bible. <laughs> Since we know that is true, it, we would be wise, I would be wise to banish pride, evil pride from, from our hearts. <clears throat> pride can destroy lives. It's like a ticking time bomb that's going to go off someday. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. First the pride, then the crash, the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. <clears throat> pride can make us do some strange things, if you think about it. Like the salesman I read about who closed, uh, was very successful salesman, and he closed many of his sales by saying, let me show you something your neighbors say you cannot afford. Uh, doesn't that kind of, that kind of works at our egos. What are some ways that pride uh, raises its ugly head? What about correction? Do you enjoy being corrected? Maybe there's, you can take it from some people, but other people, eh, I just eh, I don't really care for that. Or why do we become so argumentative or so defensive when we are corrected or unwilling to give in? We just can't, we have trouble giving in to another person. Pride sometimes, I'm just talking about what pride does here, but... Uh, some examples, but, but pride can make us hold out on God. We say, you know, I'm willing to do everything else, but here's something that I'm not going to do that, even if God, I'm not even going to do it for God. Even though he clearly tells us that we should. But that may be the very thing, the very thing we're holding out on is the very thing that will give us peace and victory in our lives. Another example would be maybe, is, have you ever talked to someone who uh, seemed like all they could do is talk about themselves? And anything that, you, anything that you say, it reminds them of something that happened to them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I've done that too. You know, somebody shares something, oh, that reminds me of what happened to me. And we begin talking about that. Uh, pride can creep in everywhere and it creeps into the assembly of the saints we are no exception there's also a spiritual pride that I think is maybe a little harder to recognize if if you have a problem then I have the solution for you and here's step one two three everything that you should do and well you do that you'll be you'll be great uh, we want others to know just how spiritual we are, how caring we are. We have all the answers, and we give spiritual advice, and we try to control others and make them do what we think they should do. So there is an example of spiritual pride, I think, that happens. Another form of pride maybe is just being touchy uh, or nursing a grudge. Anybody there? <laughs> uh, in working on this, I had to, I mean, things come back to my mind, things that happened, you know, years ago that, you know, I'm still kind of hanging on to that a little bit. And I have to just be reminded to uh, give that up. The need for revenge, you know, uh, we, we want to get this, get this person back who hurt us. Or we will, we will defend ourselves 
Anything that happens, I'm going to make sure I defend myself. I'm going to provide my own protection, my own security. Pride can't laugh at its own mistakes. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? To just take ourselves, not take ourselves so seriously and to think too highly of ourselves. Many of you would, uh, are acquainted with my wife's brother, Irvin. I'm going to use him as an illustration here, but... If you know, those of you who know Irvin, special guy, but uh, uh, Irvin is mildly handicapped, and uh, but I find Irvin to be ahead of us in a lot of, just a lot of ways. He's a kind-hearted, friendly soul. He will talk to anybody. And he's in the nursing home, he's in the hospital, and he makes friends wherever he goes. They love him. And he doesn't care who he talks to. It, it could be some higher up person that we would kind of hold back. That doesn't, hold, that doesn't stop Irvin. Uh, and he tells people about the Lord. He has led people to the Lord already. Uh, and my guess is that Irvin maybe gets possibly pushed back a little bit sometimes here. But when Irvin gets to heaven, I have a feeling there's going to be a special honor for him there, a special place, a special crown for, for him. So where does, where does pride come from? <clears throat> Think about it. It originated in Satan, right? <clears throat> Why was Satan cast out of heaven? <clears throat> pride. His whole nature was pride. The first temptation that he spoke in Eve's ear was this is how you can be more like God. You can be like God if you if you you can know good and evil if you just and, and he was appealing to her pride. <clears throat> and when she listened, and, and of course Adam too, but uh, when she listened to that and responded to that, this poison of pride uh, destroyed her humility and her, her walk with her walk with the Lord, her dependence on him. There's a, a little book out there, some of you have it, but uh, by Andrew Murray. It's, the title is simply Humility. <clears throat> this is a great little book. Uh, he writes that the human race became corrupted at the very root with Satan's pride. All the wretchedness the world has seen, wars and bloodshed, selfishness and suffering, broken hearts and embittered lives have their origin in this pride. The pride that Satan brought to mankind is, is at work. It's working daily and hourly with power throughout the whole world. Until, I think, you and I recognize the satanic origin of pride, we're not going to reach out for God's help. Only he can help us overcome that and deliver us from pride. Verse 6 here, uh, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He will lift us up in due time if we humble ourselves and then cast all your care upon him for he cares because he cares for you. Why don't we do that? Why don't we cast all our care upon him? Would we rather worry? Uh, 
I had a friend a number of years ago that was struggling or was had heart issues and was going to have surgery and I knew his I, I knew him from little on up and his father had died from from a heart heart attack and I told him one day uh, you know I'm kind of worried about you and he just came right back so why worry when you can pray and that's what we do we rather worry than pray right <clears throat> it takes great humility really to just cast our care upon him and trust him regardless I, a number of years ago, uh, I read the, one of Christmas Carol Kaufman's books, uh, Lucy Winchester. Anybody read that? <laughs> Several of you. Uh, that book really touched me. Uh, she was a lady, uh, Lucy was a lady who had a, a life of tremendous hardship and, and just heartache. So many things, and yet she kept this attitude of humility and uh, there was a definition of humility in that book <clears throat> that I had Elsie type out for me. And I have this little card here that I keep by my chair in the living room that I, I pick up now and then. This is a definition of humility taken from this book. Humility is perpetual quietness of heart. It is to not be troubled. It is never to be fretted, vexed, or irritated never disappointed. It is to rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in myself where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and be at rest and peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around me and above me is trouble. Can we identify with that? When all around me and above me there's trouble, but I can have peace with God because I have humbled myself before him. <clears throat> how can I grow? <clears throat> how can I grow in humility, this virtue? I don't believe we can grow in humility by just trying to be humble. I can't do that. I can't grow in humility by trying to take on the traits of humility, like trying to put other people in first, you know. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not really how I'm going to grow in humility. It's not by looking at how bad I am, focusing on my past sins, and, oh, my, I'm, I just, I'm a terrible person. We can't grow in humility by our own efforts. The way to finding true humility is only in focusing on Jesus, who is our example the supreme example of humility. I'd like to just close now by having you turn to Philippians chapter 2. Try to be wrapping this up. Familiar passage, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. <clears throat> Verse 5. Starts out right away. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when Jesus came to the world, how did he come? He came from the courts of glory. He came in a, in a lowly birth. He came, he was born in a stable, and his birth was announced to common shepherds. He, he didn't toot his own horn, right? Wherever he went, he did not do that. Notice here just very quickly, seven steps down that Jesus took when he came to this earth, verses 7 and 8. First, he made himself nothing. Second, he took the very nature of a servant. Three, was made in human likeness. Four, was found in appearance as a man. Five, he humbled himself. Six, he became obedient to death. Seven, even death on a cross. And why did he do all of that? Why did he humble himself to the place of death, even death on a cross? He did it for my sake and for yours. The entire plan of redemption is based on the humble surrender of Jesus. I think that's why Jesus wants, he's getting at, this is the attitude that, that we are to have. If we want to experience his redemption, then this is the attitude that we should have. So my question now is, are you and I like that? Do we even want to be? The greatest example of humility is found in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, what is the incarnation but Jesus' humility? What is the atonement but his humility? His birth, his life, his teaching, his death on this earth, his return to the Father were all humility. Do we see why humility is so important for us as Jesus' followers? <clears throat> Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So. I think to grow in humility, we study Jesus. We study the humility of Jesus. We take on his spirit and his uh, presence with us. And much as I don't really like this, I think that I believe that humility is at the core and the heart of the gospel. I cannot fully grasp that. I, I cannot fully grasp forgiveness, the forgiveness of God and what that means and what, what a holy God did for us in humbling himself, though imperfect though we are, we have, we have nothing to bring to the table, but a holy God uh, forgave us. And knowing that, can I humble myself and forgive others? As we humble ourselves and we come to the cross, repent of pride, I think we'll, we will find the strength to forgive the unforgivable. I'd like to ask myself the question, all of us, what would it be like if we all had the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ? <clears throat> Where are we today in this attitude of humility? Or am I becoming a more humble person? Or is there pride in our hearts? Has pride entered our assembly? Maybe we need, like the hymn writer said, I pour contempt on all my pride. We want God to move among us, rightfully so, but if pride is there, then I don't believe we're going to see God really moving. 
We need to repent of that pride and ask God to restore our humility. Because as we said here, read here, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may in due time lift you up. That is where I want to be this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this supreme example of Jesus and how he humbled himself and became obedient as a servant and gave his life, even uh, gave his life on a cross, a cruel, torturous way to die. Yet he gave himself for us that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. Father, help us to take on that attitude of just dying to self and coming to the cross and giving it all to you and allowing you to work in and through us. Help us to grow in our our love for you and and having the mind of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.